Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for for your word and uh, for your truth and that you've revealed yourself uh, to us, and that you've spoken with uh, clarity and authority uh, in your uh, holy word, in your scriptures. And I pray that you would uh, be with us and uh, teach us uh, by your spirit and that uh, we would grow in the knowledge of you and of the gospel and that uh, we would have uh, all the more hope and confidence in you and in your son and that we would understand uh, your purposes and wisdom uh, for for your people uh, in the church in the body of christ and uh, also for uh, the the jewish people and the, uh, the nation of israel and your uh, ultimate purposes to redeem them and, uh, we thank you for the gospel and for your salvation and uh, pray that you'd be with us and that you be glorified and honored. Uh, we pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we were continuing our study in Romans, and uh, last week we ventured uh, partway into uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, where uh, we talked about here, uh, Paul, after, after really looking at the implications of uh, our justification, for believers uh, in chapters 5 through 8, uh, showing that uh, that uh, the God who has justified us uh, in his Son uh, will also uh, sanctify us and ultimately glorify us, and that we have an everlasting, eternal hope, even in the midst of suffering in this life, uh, looking to uh, the ultimate redemption of our bodies and and the inheritance of uh, God's creation, blessing, and provision uh, in uh, his son forevermore. But then in chapter 9, uh, Paul turns, uh, because he's mentioned many things about the Jewish people, and that the gospel, it's for the Jew first, but also for the Greek, for the, the Gentile. That's just another term he'd use for, for someone who wasn't a Jew by, by birth. But here, he turns to the issue, what about Israel? Uh, what about the nation of uh, Israel? Just because of the things he has said along uh, the way, that uh, both Jews and Gentiles are saved by, by faith. How is it that so many, by and large, have not uh, believed uh, in the gospel? Uh, and. Part of the reason why he goes into these issues of God's promises and election uh, for the nation, uh, we uh, saw that it's not physical descent that ultimately matters, but it's, it's those who are sons of God, those who are chosen by God. It's the remnant, uh, the children of promise who partake in the blessing. He talks about that in Galatians as well, who are true children of uh, Abraham. Uh, that includes both Jews and Gentiles who, who believe, uh, like the man Abraham. He was a believer in God, and God counted to him as righteousness. And we talked about some of the reasons Paul goes into this, uh, but other reasons, uh, not just the, the question in confidence uh, in uh, the gospel, which we'll uh, see, but Paul's going to show the full extent of God's mercy and grace 
uh, in election uh, for, uh, for uh, Jews, for Gentiles, for the church, ultimately for the nation of Israel. It's going to come full circle. Right now we're looking at the hardening of Israel, but it's going to come full circle at the end. Uh, it, at the front, some people, uh, some people scream and cry out, not fair, not fair, that God chooses some, and that he, he uh, has mercy on whom he has mercy, uh, and that, uh, that he even hardens whom he hardens, uh, with, with Pharaoh, for instance. But by the time you get to the end, some of those who can accept that truth of God's sovereign election, they get to the end where it says uh, that uh, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come, uh, comes in. And so all Israel will be saved. They're enemies for your sake, but for the sake of their, uh, their fathers and the promises of their beloved of God. That is uh, the physical nation of Israel who are currently uh, enemies. They're, they're opposed to, to, the, uh, to the gospel by, by and large, uh, not, not all of them. And that one day God is going to uh, redeem that people at the end of time uh, that there's going to be a great national remnant. doesn't mean every physical descendant throughout history, but at the end of time, there's going to be a great national remnant that he's going to bring in to his kingdom so that at the end of Revelation, you see that there are 12 foundations on the New Jerusalem, representing the 12 apostles. That's the church uh, who belongs to, uh, to the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, to uh, the new redeemed future Israel in God's kingdom. They belong to the kingdom. And there are 12 gates representing the 12 tribes. God is going to redeem uh, the Israelites, those of old who believed, and a great future national remnant uh, in his kingdom. And uh, there, uh, just to, uh, we won't go into it, but to give a little spoiler, uh, let's talk about Eric. Eric was talking about the 24 elders, if you really work through Revelation again and again, you'll see they're distinguished from the humans. They're distinguished from the dead. They're distinguished from believers. Uh, and that they're fellow ministers, they, they say to John, and they act just like the angels in the book of Daniel. Daniel, uh, They are heavenly messengers, uh, corresponding the 24 to uh, the pr 24 priestly divisions uh, on earth of the Levites uh, that Eric was talking about well, when you have the 12 apostles uh, the, uh, for the, the church, the assembly of the redeemed in this age, and the 12 tribes uh, with the, the 12 gates, 24, you have a, uh, together, 12 and 12, 24, you have a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God purposed uh, from all eternity and from all the way back at Genesis, you have the 12 tribes, but by the end, uh, you have the 12 apostles. Together, he has formed a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and the nations will walk in their light in the, uh, the kingdom. Uh, and as uh, some have, have pointed out, uh, this uh, may even reflect this unity of the people of God, but peoples uh, within the, the, the one people of God, uh, where you, you have the, the church uh, in the uh, the, the nation Israel, the tribes, the apostles, and the nations may even reflect the, the unity in threeness uh, within uh, God uh, himself as he redeems uh, a people. And so here in Romans 9, 
uh, Paul wants them to understand uh, the gospel, understand, yes, the gospel's first for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And part of Paul's big purpose, all the way going back to the beginning of his letter, is to show uh, his eagerness to preach the gospel to them and beyond, uh, to, to barbarians, to those beyond them. And he'll explain more at the end. He wants the Romans to partner with him and to support him and help him to bring the gospel beyond Rome, beyond where it's reached, to Spain, to, to those uh, nations and places and peoples where the gospel has not been proclaimed yet. Uh, and uh, scholar Stephen Rungi has uh, shown just how uh, Paul, when he uses the words for, 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 going into the body of the letter, it's showing his eagerness and readiness, and he's going to reveal to them. He wants them uh, to, uh, to help and support him uh, bringing the gospel to Spain. He's showing them uh, the power uh, and the wisdom of God's word and why he's eager, why it's only by faith, uh, why it's only by grace, why it's only in Christ, uh, the sufficiency of uh, grace and faith and Christ as our high priest, uh, all a two of the glory of God. And so uh, even to, to bring unity to the church and, and uh, maturity and understanding so that uh, they uh, too uh, will be eager to partner with him. And so let's just uh, read through and we'll do a, just a little bit of review of what we've uh, covered and then we'll work through the rest of the chapter. And so he, he starts out with uh, basically uh, the, the problem and uh, his care and concern uh, and sorrow for uh, his people uh, by, by the flesh, by physical descent. So, Verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so we see Paul's great sorrow and anguish for his people here, uh, where he can even say, I... Uh, basically could wish myself cut off and accursed for the sake, uh, from Christ for the sake of my brothers, uh, showing his great sincerity uh, and desire for their ultimate salvation. And it's not a desire that goes against God because we're going to see ultimately God is going to redeem other people. Uh, Paul's will is in line with, uh, with uh, God's uh, uh, we also uh, saw the, the great privileges that Israel had uh, of all the, the promises and blessings and glory uh, that uh, the, the very greatest of all, not just the patriarchs, but 
from whom comes the, the Christ according uh, to the flesh, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Truly, uh, he, he affirms what he just spoke. Uh, but now, with this problem about uh, the nation's, by and large, uh, unbelief and rejection of, of the gospel, why else would he have to say, I could wish myself accursed or cut off? It's because, by and large, they're not, they're not believing. It's in verse 6 where he starts to uh, describe and to, uh, to defend and explain uh, why this is and that it's not that God's word has failed. Uh, not at all. Uh, God's word showed that this would happen. That's always been only by grace, only by God's free choice of unworthy uh, sinners. Uh, and it's not ultimately physical descent that matters, but those who, who are children of promise. Uh, they're the children of, of God. So verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. There's a greater Israel, the nation, but there's an Israel within Israel. A chosen remnant, a, a spiritual offspring. Those who walk in the way of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, uh, believers, the remnant. So, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, uh, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. And so he starts with the first example, Isaac, uh, as we saw, showing it was by God's choice. He didn't choose Ishmael. Uh, Sarah and Abraham tried to take it into their own hands with Hagar to bring about the blessing and the promise and a seed uh, to preserve Abraham's offspring, an heir. But that was not. God's purpose. Uh, humans are always trying to bring things up, uh, about on their own, but God had purposed uh, that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Uh, it was God's choice. The children of promise uh, are the children of, of God. Uh, this means it is not the children of the flesh, physical descent, who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. And then uh, he gives another example, an even stronger one that we talked about, where now you're dealing with, uh, with one man, Isaac, and one woman, Rebekah, and uh, twins, uh, born really, really at the, the same time. And so uh, he says in verse uh, 9, on this uh, talks a little more bit about Sarah, but then we go into to, with Rebecca and Isaac. Uh, For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. God promised them a son in Isaac. Uh, and then he goes on, and not only so, 
but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac. Uh, and basically uh, says that uh, in, in uh, the, the Greek text, but also Rebekah uh, from one, uh, literally bed, having one bed, uh, Isaac, uh, our father, uh, talking about uh, the marital bed. She only had one husband. Uh, through whom the twins were were born. Uh, unlike with uh, Hagar, uh, which was uh, kind of a uh, half son for uh, or half brother to uh, Isaac, Ishmael, Ishmael and Isaac uh, were half brothers. But now uh, they're both uh, twins, and they're both from Isaac and Rebecca. But also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Uh, though they were not yet born, so he's prefacing, going to get to his main point, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, not by anything that they did. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And that last one's from, from Malachi, uh, chapter 1. And so, uh, though they were not yet born, they, they hadn't even been born yet, or as some have said, they, they didn't uh, exist yet, but only when they were, uh, they were conceived. And so they, they exist, but they, they weren't born yet, and they had done nothing either good or bad, nothing to commend them to God, or nothing uh, to uh, basically... Uh, give them demerits before God. It was nothing uh, that they did. Uh, God uh, is not uh, a man pleaser. Uh, he doesn't uh, owe anything uh, to uh, anyone, uh, and he doesn't owe anything to uh, sinners. It wasn't uh, anything that they did, though they were not yet born, and they had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. That's why, because of God's purpose of election, his free choice uh, to bring about his uh, promises and blessing, uh, to preserve them and bring them about, not because of works, not because of anything that humans have, have done, but because of him who calls. Uh, do you think he wants us to get the point? She was told the older will serve uh, the younger, uh, which turns everything on its head from a human a perspective, uh, the older shall serve uh, the younger, not the one who had the right of primogeniture, not the firstborn, not the one who had a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, God uh, brings about his promises by his uh, sheer uh, grace and mercy. And as we've said, uh, case uh, Reba gets uh, too prideful and, and uh, boastful, uh, uh, David had seven brothers and he was the eighth. Uh, and God didn't choose uh, David's firstborn. Uh, he didn't uh, Amnon. Uh, Amnon ended up dying. Uh, he raped his sister and was ended up uh, being killed. David did nothing about it, and he was killed by his brother uh, Absalom, who is third, uh, but may have been second in the, the running. Uh, and then Absalom, uh, eventually, he fled from the country, but as he uh, came back, he eventually, 
uh, split the country and almost brought it under complete civil war and ended up dying. Uh, and then uh, his second born was Adonijah, but uh, this was all came from the uh, after God promised to David when David sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband Uriah the Hittite killed on the battlefield and set up, uh, adding murder uh, to his uh, adultery. Uh, and David ultimately repented, but God brought chastisement and uh, judgment and, and punishment for, for it, uh, not revoking his promises. And so his first son with Rahab, whom he committed adultery with, uh, died uh, because of, uh, God took his life as, as a punishment. But out of this uh, immoral uh, relationship, uh, God raised up Solomon, or in Hebrew, basically, Shlomo, <laughs> which I, I should have said it. It, it, it sounds different in, in English. Uh, it wouldn't have sounded, uh, it wouldn't have been like a kick me sign in Hebrew. Uh, so, uh, but uh, God named him, I believe, Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Yedidiah, a beloved of the Lord. Uh, he chose him, took him as a son. Uh, out of this relationship of adultery and murder uh, that David committed and was guilty for, out of this, God raised up an heir, offspring, to preserve his promises, uh, his blessing, through a Solomon, and not through Amnon, who was the firstborn, who died, not Absalom, who was the third, not Adonijah, uh, Joab, his general, uh, tried to uh, work and put Adonijah on the throne. But that is not what God purposed through his prophet, Nathan, uh, and his priest, Zadok, and his king, David, and uh, Solomon, his, uh, his heir. And so this would be a relationship where, uh, as Albert Muller has said, uh, you have to be very careful. It's not the child's fault for the sin of their parents. Uh, you don't fault a child uh, because uh, they were born out of an act of sin by uh, the parents. But from a human perspective, uh, Solomon would almost be considered, uh, it, it, it'd be an illegitimate relationship, an illegitimate child, kind of like a bastard child. Uh, not that uh, you never blame the child, but that from a human perspective is out of this wreckage, out of this sin, that God preserved uh, his blessing. And uh, David was the eighth after seven brothers, and Solomon uh, was, was far after. And why, why, why Solomon? By, by human standards, it makes no sense uh, whatsoever. And so uh, it's not always the second born uh, either, but it's those whom God uh, chooses just by his sheer grace and mercy who are undeserving. And so she was told that the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God showed a special love to uh, Jacob. And uh, Paul's drawing an analogy, as it is written. Uh, some of the things in Malachi uh, also draw more on the, the national relationship uh, as they unfold. But here, uh, Paul is also uh, very concerned with God's individual choices. It was nothing that they did uh, individually, good or evil. Is it before they uh, were born and had d done nothing 
a good and evil. And so he draws from this language and this analogy. Uh, as is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. He showed a special love to Jacob. And as we talked about, Jacob I loved, that's what should shock us uh, the most. Uh, people normally focus on Esau I hated, but it's Jacob I loved. That is what should really shock us and surprise us because he was a sinner like us. And uh, there's a lot about Jacob that really wasn't very, uh, very attractive. Um, he was quite deceptive. Uh, but he was a believer and he grew in his faith over time. And so uh, this raises an objection. Uh, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God is free to show mercy on whom he shows mercy and to, uh, to have compassion on whom he shows a compassion. All sinners deserve is uh, to be judged and held accountable and guilty for other sins. A grace is something that's utterly uh, free and undeserved. Uh, and if uh, if it was something that could be demanded, it'd show it wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be uh, a free uh, free gift. Uh, so then, so he's uh, saying it's uh, there is no injustice on God's part. God is just uh, to choose. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Uh, and as we said last time, literally. Uh, now then, uh, basically it depends uh, not uh, on the one willing, nor on the one running, but uh, it's of God who has, has mercy. It's not, it's not of the one willing or of the one running, but of uh, God who has mercy. Uh, of maybe the, the mercy in God, is, as James White said recently in a debate, uh, and running uh, involves exertion and human effort on their part uh, and will, but it, it involves uh, none of that. It's surely God's mercy. Uh, even in the, the beginning of the, the Gospel of John, uh, it talks about how uh, the light came into the world uh, and uh, that the world uh, basically uh, didn't, uh, didn't comprehend him and didn't understand him. He came to his own people and they did not receive him so Gentiles, Jews uh, but to those who did uh, receive him uh, who uh, believed uh, in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born uh, not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and so it's nothing physical uh, it's not the will of the flesh it's not the will of man, it's not the, the, the choosing and choices and deciding of man, but uh, they were born of God. It's a spiritual work uh, where the, the spirit, who as Jesus says, blows wherever he wishes, uh, gives life to dead sinners. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Uh, and this is true for Israel. Uh, it's not the physical descendants, but it's God showing mercy on uh, undeserving 
undeserving sinners even of Israel. Uh, and now he supports this with Pharaoh and goes beyond. It's not just a mercy, a matter of mercy in which God is free and a matter of showing compassion, but also hardening, a judgment uh, also. God is free uh, to uh, judge sinners. Uh, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. For this very purpose. What purpose? I have raised you up. This, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why God raised up Pharaoh. And before it ever says that Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart, uh, God said he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And so multiple times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then you'll also see Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, he, he hardened his heart. It's God basically giving sinners over, taking off his hand of restraint, giving them over to their sin, uh, what they want uh, by their very, very nature in rebellion against him. And so, uh, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that I and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Uh, so then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. It's all God's uh, good purpose and free uh, choice. Uh, and yeah, God, uh, God demonstrates and shows his power uh, in rebellious sinners, uh, bringing judgment upon them, uh, where Pharaoh would not let the people go again and again and again, and with all the violence that they brought on the Israelite people, uh, killing their sons, having them exposed, set out in the cold to die, uh, set out in the desert, uh, however they would do it, to, uh, to die and to kill them, uh, and the toil and the abuse and the slavery that they heaped upon them, and then not letting them go, uh, there were ten plagues until finally God brought judgment on their firstborn because Israel he took as his firstborn, his preeminent son, uh, to inherit the land and his blessing and promises. And he brought judgment and showed his par power and brought great fear and dread upon uh, the sinners and the surrounding nations and the peoples of the land as they went in. So that even Rahab, uh, the, the harlot, the prostitute, heard of uh, what God had done uh, for the Israelites and feared and came to believe uh, in, in him and joined uh, the people of God. And so uh, he concludes, uh, verse 18, it's not just mere mercy, uh, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Uh, and this raises another objection. Here come the, the debaters crying out, not fair, not fair. And so uh, Paul says in verse 19, you will say to me that, you will say to me that, 
So as if he's speaking to uh, an objector and he's, uh, he's assumed of what's going through their minds on what he just taught. That sounds, that sounds very controversial. That sounds very powerful. That sounds, uh, they're crying out injustice on, on God's part. So uh, he says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Why does he still find fault? Other basically saying, he shouldn't find fault. No one can resist his will. God's doing whatever he pleases. Uh, he has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. And so why does he still find fault? He shouldn't find fault. He's just, he's just working out his sovereign purposes and, and will. We, we can't resist God. God does whatever. He's in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, uh, as it says uh, in the Psalms. Uh, but Paul, uh, he doesn't, as we talked about, he doesn't tone it down. He, he could try to maybe lighten it a little bit, uh, but he, he just goes straight and says... But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? It's not your place to answer to God. A God is not the one being judged. God is not on trial. He's not on the bench. He does not answer uh, to you. And uh, it's not their place to answer back uh, to God. Uh, he is good and holy and perfectly just. Uh, and he does uh, whatever uh, his heart desires to bring about his good purposes. He can bring a judgment and hardening upon undeserving sinners, giving them over to their sin, or he can have mercy on sinners who don't deserve uh, his uh, mercy. And so who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? A man is not God. He is just man. Uh, and then he, he gets uh, really more uh, uh, offensive in some ways and draws from like Isaiah and a lot of the prophets. This is a common analogy of the, the potter and the clay. God's the creator. He's the potter. We are the clay. We're just creatures. And so uh, he goes on. Uh, well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Which is kind of absurd and ridiculous. If you think about a potter molding a pot and suddenly the pot crying out, well, why have you made me like this? Why, why you put, why'd you put a handle here? Why didn't you put one over there? Why, why, uh, why, why, why didn't you, you give me a, a long spout to pour things out into? Why, you know, it's not the pot's place. Uh, the potter is free to make uh, vessels for his own purposes, uh, for uh, for all that he wants. If he wants a plate uh, or a platter, he can make a, a plate. If he wants a bowl or if he wants uh, a vessel for, uh, for pouring wine or water or, or such things, uh, he is free to do so. He's the potter. He's the creator. He, he made, made the pots. He gets to decide. It's not the pots. Uh, it's absurd for, for a pot to cry out and, and complain uh, about uh, that. 
so will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump, one lump, kind of like the nation of Israel, uh, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Uh, some vessels uh, serve in the, the temple. Uh, some are used for the, uh, the, the offering, censers for the offering of incense, uh, in the pouring out of blood in the bowls and basins and for holding the, uh, the, the bread on the, the table of presence. Uh, they are holy. They are dedicated uh, to the Lord. They are no ordinary vessels, but they are uh, used to, for service in the, the temple. Uh, they are vessels for honorable use. Uh, and then some are for dishonorable use, or you could even say common use, common uh, purposes. Uh, even uh, some, as James White said, uh, some might be a chamber pot, uh, basically. Even even in uh, hospitals and, and such, uh, if someone uh, can't uh, get up to uh, relieve themselves and use the bathroom, uh, there are certain vessels for uh, for that uh, duty that serve that purpose. Some for honorable use, some for uh, dishonorable. Uh, some might be used to feed the, the pigs and the cows or uh, something, something like that, not service in the temple. And so, uh, of course, the potter has right uh, to make out of the same lump uh, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Just as with Israel, uh, some, uh, some sinners like uh, Pharaoh, God pardons, he gives them over to their sins, their natural, wicked, evil desires, and shows his power and justice in bringing judgment on sinners who only deserve uh, judgment. Uh, but then there are others for honorable use. And uh, so uh, he gives uh, another illustration. Uh, he goes from the pot, uh, now showing uh, God's, God's freedom and uh, starts hypothetical, but it's not hypothetical. This is what God has done, as we will see. Uh, what if God, uh, desiring uh, to show his wrath and to make his power known, uh, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, uh, in literally, and uh, in order uh, to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of uh, mercy. Uh, and so, uh, literally, uh, but uh, if uh, God uh, willing to uh, demonstrate uh, his wrath and to make known his power, what if he is born uh, with much patience, forbearance, uh, vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath uh, prepared for uh, destruction. And so there are two uh, purposes uh, here uh, to, uh, that, that preface this. Uh, God uh, desiring to show his wrath and to make uh, his power, uh, power known. Uh, those are two purposes of God, which we already saw with Pharaoh. Uh, to demonstrate his power uh, in him, to show his justice in ju judging Pharaoh. He hardened him and brought a just judgment uh, upon him. And so uh, those are two of God's purposes in bringing, bringing about a judgment. 
So what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience uh, vessels of wrath prepared for uh, destruction? And, uh, here, the only, uh, the only preparer uh, is God. He has purposed, just as it said uh, with uh, Pharaoh uh, before, uh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God himself raised up a Pharaoh. However, uh, in this case, uh, it's not the extension of grace and mercy, which is a powerful, uh, gracious work of God in which he raises dead sinners to life. Uh, here, it's God take, removing his hand of restraint, letting sinners walk and go in their own sinful ways and follow their sinful hearts. And a God is ultimately in control over all things uh, so that even in Proverbs it says things like uh, the king's heart is like uh, channels of water in the hand of the Lord. Uh, he turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, king makes his choices, uh, but God ultimately is in uh, control. And so even as uh, wicked sinners uh, go about their own wicked ways. Uh, it's not as if God's ultimate purposes are being thwarted, but really God is undermining their sin, their evil, their wickedness. He allows only for a short time to bring about his good purpose so that even with Joseph and his brothers, uh, Joseph says uh, that uh, as for you, to his brothers, you meant uh, evil uh, against me, uh, but God uh, meant it, intended it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. And same verbs, it, it, it's parallel in that uh, as for you, you intended evil against me, but God intended it for good. They had evil intentions in what they did to Joseph, uh, even throwing him in a pit, going to murder him, sending him off into slavery to Egypt. Uh, but God had a purpose, ultimately, for good, to preserve many people alive. Pharaoh had evil, wicked purposes, uh, but God had uh, good purposes uh, to bring justice, to bring judgment, to bring an end to his rebellion, and to set his people free on whom he showed mercy. Uh, same with Assyria in Isaiah 10. Uh, he calls Assyria, 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 the rod of my anger and the staff in whom uh, my hands, I believe he says, is my wrath. He brings judgment through this, the most wicked and evil and vile and violent of nations. And then after he brings judgment, he brings judgment upon Assyria because they were just fulfilling their own wicked, evil desires. And they thought it was all, uh, all, all of them. And so God then brings judgment upon uh, upon them, and you see that in the cross in Acts 2 and Acts uh, 4, uh, that uh, God gathered all these people, Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders, the priests and the scribes, uh, to do whatever your hand uh, prede predestined and predetermined uh, for knowledge, uh, to bring all these, all these things about uh, in the cross. Uh, you can read about that in Acts 2 and Acts 4. 
And so what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, uh, literally, and uh, in order to make known uh, the uh, riches of his glory for vessels of uh, mercy, uh, or in uh, order uh, to make known uh, the riches of his glory uh, for uh, vessels of mercy, uh, which he prepared for glory. And here it's even more personal, which he prepared. This was uh, a sovereign, gracious, saving work in which by, uh, by his uh, very uh, election and choosing that he actually uh, brings about the regeneration of believers. He calls them uh, to faith and to salvation through his spirit. He regenerates them, raises them from death to life. He justifies them, he sanctifies them. Uh, he will ultimately uh, glorify them. Uh, this is a very personal, powerful work on a behalf of God. Uh, and some, uh, there's a sense in which God, uh, as we saw here, that uh, there are those who are prepared for destruction. But uh, you have to be careful. Uh, sometimes people use, like, talk about double predestination. Yes, God does predestine and determine all things. Uh, some sinners to the just judgment they deserve following their own hearts and some to salvation. But they're not the same thing. They're not the same act. Uh, that's uh, the fallacy of equal ultimacy, as uh, James White has said, where in one, God has to work powerfully by his spirit to raise unworthy uh, sinners from death to life, uh, to bring them uh, to faith and repentance and to justify them and to sanctify them and to glorify them uh, and to uh, preserve them for all eternity and, and cause them to persevere in his grace. Uh, but with his judgment, he's removing his hand of restraint uh, upon them. Uh, he's uh, not uh, forcing them, uh, as most uh, James White used the illustration, he doesn't put a gun to their ba back and say, sin, sin. And they're like, no, I don't want to. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to, God. Please don't make me. I want, I want to do good. <laughs> no, sinners uh, want to do the evil of their hearts. And sometimes, God, uh, my spirit will not always strive with man. He, he uh, releases his restraints. Uh, and his restraints of uh, his spirit, like uh, Abimelech, uh, uh, Abimelech, uh, when he uh, was going to take uh, Sarah for his wife, because Abraham said, she's my sister, uh, Abimelech said that in the innocence and integrity of my heart, I did this thing. I did not know she was his wife. And God says, I know you did this in the innocence and integrity of your heart because I stopped you. <laughs> and so he affirms, you did it in the innocence and integrity of heart because I stopped you. It was God's sheer restraint on the man so that he wouldn't sin and take the woman and, uh, and corrupt God's promises uh, for the seed, for Isaac, for God's blessings and, and promises and salvation. 
uh, and he has the restraints of government, the fear of the sword and punishment, uh, the, 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 our consciences written on our hearts, uh, the Torah uh, served uh, to reveal God's law and in some ways even enticed sin uh, all, all the more, but there were punishments and judgments uh, that uh, came about and in family, uh, there, uh, God has all these restraints in society on individuals and collectives and people and he uh, in his hardening uh, his judicial hardening he removes his hand of restraint but ultimately he's in control over all things and he even subverts evil and works it out for his good purpose which uh, we see ultimately in the cross which was the very greatest evil that humans have ever ever perpetrated uh, both Jews and Gentiles and so uh, what if God, uh, verse 22, uh, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience, uh, patience, his patient enduring uh, of sin and sinners, which doesn't last forever. Uh, with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory uh, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from uh, the Gentiles so now it's personal uh, Paul has a point to make here uh, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles these are believers these are the church the assembly of the redeemed God's uh, elect uh, vessels vessels of mercy that he prepared before him for glory as we saw in Romans uh, 8 uh, and then he draws an analogy as comparison as indeed he says in Hosea those who were not my people I will call my people and her who was not beloved I will call beloved and in the very place where it was said, uh, said to them you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. And so he starts with believers, and he's going to turn uh, to uh, to Israel, uh, the the nation, uh, and uh, they're uh, by and large un unbelief. And so, as he shows this uh, this calling, uh, from the not from the Jews only, but also from from the Gentiles. It's God's, God's choice, God's purposes. These are uh, the sons of God. These are the heirs of the promise, sons of Abraham, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, drawing from Isaiah, uh, Hosea, as indeed he says in Hosea. And here in Hosea's day, this was actually speaking of uh, the nation Israel at uh, the, the time. Uh, where uh, in the first chapter uh, he uh, has Hosea uh, take a, a wife of Hordam, one who is involved in prostitution uh, that came up just like Israel. Israel uh, cheated on God uh, and committed spiritual adultery, uh, which uh, we become very outraged when we hear that someone commits adultery in a human relationship and have great heartache and sorrow. But 
uh, it's uh, as horrible and evil and wicked as that is, uh, it is far greater uh, and it has far greater uh, repercussions uh, to commit spiritual adultery upon God and to go after idols uh, and to not trust in God as the one true creator God, but to go after a false, a false God. It is far a greater uh, of, of a blasphemy and a sin uh, not to lighten, uh, to lighten physical human uh, adultery, but uh, to show just how great and evil and wicked it is uh, to, uh, after the mercy and love God shows on his people, uh, to, uh, to uh, go in unbelief and create false, false gods. Uh, but uh, Hosea had three children. Uh, one he names uh, Jezreel. Uh, he is bringing judgment on Samaria, on Israel, on the, the northern uh, tribe. Uh, and one was to be named uh, Not My People. Some name, it's sometimes hard to be a prophet of God. <laughs> take, take a prostitute for your wife, and she went back to prostitution, and he was to take her back yet again to forgive her, to show God's love for Israel. Uh, Hosea was a picture of God's patient love and endurance for Israel, whom he would ultimately take back. And so a Jezreel, uh, not my people, uh, and uh, not a beloved. Uh, those were the names of his children. Uh, show these markers. He rejected uh, the people. Those who were my people, not my people. Those who were beloved, not beloved. And he brought judgment upon them, sent them away into exile. But said, uh, ultimately, concerning them, uh, he drew on these words. You can read in Hosea chapter 2, uh, 1 and 2, and, and on. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And so it's just like these uh, Jews and Gentiles who uh, once uh, in the church, uh, they were not God's people, uh, just like in Hosea. Uh, they were not God's people, uh, they were not beloved, but now God calls them beloved and takes them as his, his beloved people and as uh, his people. He calls them my people. Uh, those who are not beloved are beloved. Those who are not my people are my people. And, uh, he could, and late, later he will, draw from so many texts like Deuteronomy 3.2 and throughout Isaiah where it talks about God will do this very thing uh, for, uh, for the Gentiles, even to make the nation jealous. I will make them jealous. Uh, with uh, people who are no people, and I'll uh, basically uh, with uh, you'll make them uh, jealous and provoke them uh, with a foolish nation, and that's what God uh, does when He uh, rejected uh, uh, the nation of Israel uh, for a time, brought a partial hardening on them, and now salvation uh, is in the body of Christ. But one day He will uh, redeem them. And so Paul draws uh, connections uh, here uh, with this uh, powerful, strong language and precedence for God, uh, for God uh, redeeming those who were once rejected uh, and who were, were not a bit beloved. 
But now he turns back to Israel. And this is uh, part of, of the question that he's been asking. What about Israel? Not all Israel is of Israel. And so, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Although the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Two quotes from Hosea, and we're going to see two from Isaiah. Although the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. The sands of the sea, those were God's promises. Your offspring shall be as the sand of the sea. But now, as the very sand of the sea, they were in rebellion and unbelief against God. And so now everything is turned on its head and the curses uh, come upon them. Although the number of the sons of Israel shall be of uh, the, the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea. Only a remnant of them will be saved. Just a remnant. What remains uh, after God's judgment comes upon them uh, in Isaiah's day. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Showing God hardens. He brings justice and judgment upon uh, sinners uh, as he wills. Uh, and as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left, to, uh, left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. That's straight from chapter 1 uh, of Isaiah, which is kind of a prologue, which sets the themes and the tone for in the entire book. Uh, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What happened to them? They were burnt to the ground, to ashes, in burning sulfur and fire that rained down upon them. Only Lot and his family came out. Uh, his two daughters, his son-in-law stayed and mocked and his wife turned back and judgment came upon her and turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, her heart was, was in uh, the rebellious, evil cities against God. And, and if, in Isaiah's day, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring of his sheer mercy and grace, a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. We would have been just like them and been obliterated from the face of the planet. And so Paul concludes, uh, seeing God's justice and, and freedom and, and giving mercy on whom he has mercy and hardening whom he hardens, he concludes, what shall we say then? That, now this is what we shall say, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. They didn't pursue it, but they attained it. Uh, that is a righteousness that is by faith, by God's sheer mercy and grace. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in 
him uh, will not be put uh, to shame. Uh, and so, uh, here, he's showing the Gentiles. Out of all of this, the Gentiles who did not uh, pursue righteousness. They didn't go after it. They didn't run after it. They didn't will after it. Just sheer God's mercy and grace that, uh, that redeemed them, that justified them, uh, that made them righteous in his son uh, have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Uh, received through the empty hands of faith. Merely uh, because you can't do anything, all you can do is receive the free gift of God's salvation just by believing. God says uh, he will save. He will save. Uh, and it's something that he grants. He grants a repentance and, and faith. Even, even that. So the Gentiles received it. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Uh, they pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. But as sinners, we saw that we're enslaved to sin. Apart from God's Spirit, apart from the New Covenant, apart from the salvation that's only uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we can't do anything pleasing to God. Uh, our sinful passions uh, in our, our flesh, uh, our natural human nature and inclinations, uh, all the way from Adam, uh, they, uh, they bring us to sin and sin and sin. And we follow our evil desires, which brings guilt and condemnation uh, upon us. And so... Uh, now, uh, he says, then, uh, why? Why did they not succeed in reaching that law? You know, a law uh, that they pursued for righteousness uh, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Uh, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, uh, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever uh, believes in him shall not be put to shame. And here, uh, this language uh, is drawn from uh, many, uh, many places uh, in a scripture. Let's see. In uh, here, ah uh, yes, uh, from Isaiah 28, uh, verse uh, 16, uh, in this case, uh, and this is a very uh, common theme. It looks like we're not going to have time to, uh, to go uh, into this passage right now. But if you look all the way back to Deuteronomy 32, uh, with, uh, uh, with Moses' uh, song that he was given, uh, the song of Moses, to give uh, to the people of Israel by, by God about uh, his redemption of them and their sinful rebellion against uh, him, uh, where he talks about that himself as a stone. He was their refuge. He was their uh, place of safety, and they rejected him, uh, and they sought for other stones, and they say, uh, our, uh, our stone is not like their stones, ba basically, and talk about God as a stone, as a place of refuge, as a rock. It's an extremely common theme throughout uh, Scripture, and if you read in Isaiah chapter 
uh, eight uh, in the section that we covered about uh, the uh, sign of Immanuel, uh, God with us and the judgment he brought. Uh, it talks about uh, his word in that Yahweh uh, shall be as a sanctuary and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense uh, to trip and fall over and be shattered. And then in Isaiah uh, 28, uh, it's a section, uh, again, about Israel's rebellion. He also turns to Jerusalem and the southern uh, kingdom. Uh, in there, uh, the uh, leaders, it uh, talks about the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim was a prominent northern tribe uh, of the, the, the northern tribes in, in Israel, the northern uh, nation after they were split. And their, uh, their uh, leaders, uh, their priests, their prophets, their counselors uh, were like drunken men stumbling and uh, stupering and uh, throwing up on all things uh, because uh, they were following uh, uh, false prophecy. They were following lies. They were following deception. Uh, they were rebelling against God and they would not listen uh, to God's word. And so God basically said that he would sp uh, speak uh, to this people in a strange tongue, almost like children. And there are different ways that it's translated uh, some say precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And uh, in Hebrew, uh, it, it's basically tzav le tzav, kav le kav, zersham, zersham. And it's both words, but it sounds kind of like gibberish, and it doesn't make sense without context. It almost sounds like babbling, uh, almost like a, a child or foreign people. Uh, they can't understand it because it's also a parable. Uh, precept upon precept or command upon command, line upon line, here a little, there a little. As you keep reading, he talks about the judgment that's going to come. He uses all of those words to say that he will uh, judge them uh, and that uh, the, the measuring line of righteousness, he uses the word again. Measuring uh, line will be righteousness and the plumb line uh, of the people, uh, and that uh, that the bed will be too short. They won't be able to find comfort as this judgment comes upon them, and the, the sheets too uh, too too small to uh, to wrap themselves uh, in. Uh, and he talks about his commands and precepts upon them as he brings judgment upon them, and he talks about uh, the stone uh, that he sets, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Uh, and it seems in the context, centrally it's dealing with, uh, as is common theme, God's word, God's person, God's character. If they would have listened to him, he told them the way of peace, of, of refuge, of rest. They would not listen uh, for God's blessing. And they would not even listen when he, said, when he says, go into exile, they'll bring you back. But they tried to make their own plans instead of listening to the word of God, their sure foundation, their safe a refuge. Uh, and here Paul now says, and the authors of scripture, they draw from all these rock analogies. Of course, Christ is Yahweh. Uh, they rejected Yahweh as king. They reject his word. They, what, the, whatever rock God establishes, uh, it is a general truth that men always reject it. 
They reject it, they reject it, they reject it. Uh, the judges, the kings, the priests, the prophets, those who were to be shepherds over Israel, rejected God's word, they rejected God, they rejected God as king, and the, uh, the ultimate rejection is seen when they reject Jesus, the anointed, God's anointed as king. They rejected Yahweh as king. Uh, it's the culmination of all this uh, that happened and repeated through all, all of history until the ultimate rejection. And so he says, uh, why? Why did they not succeed in reaching that law? Uh, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it, it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him uh, will not be put uh, to shame. And so uh, this uh, brings us end to, to the end of Romans 9, and we see that God, uh, that not all Israel is of Israel, but it's always been the children of promise. It's not merely physical descent, just as we've uh, seen throughout Genesis in all of our uh, all of our studies of the uh, the offspring of the woman, her believing, believing, chosen, righteous offspring that God preserves uh, and ultimately will restore His blessing with, which culminates in Christ, the ultimate offspring of the ideal Israelite judge. Uh, king, priest, prophet, who fulfills all, all of the offices, all that the nation is about. And one day, uh, as you keep reading uh, to the end of Romans, uh, he's going to uh, bring uh, a great national remnant back in. Uh, they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and they will reign with Christ. And all of God's promises and blessings, individually and collectively, are uh, fulfilled in Christ. Uh, and in his eternal kingdom. And so uh, we only made it through nine, but I uh, hope it uh, helps uh, to, to understand and uh, maybe uh, you'll desire to read through and study more. And uh, Eric will be going through in great uh, detail. So uh, this uh, will hopefully just uh, whet our appetite to, uh, uh, to learn and read more. So let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy, righteous word, and I thank you for all that's taught here, uh, things that are so grand and, and uh, amazing, and, uh, things that we could never understand or grasp apart from you, and I pray that you'd give us uh, believing hearts and that you'd help us to uh, understand, understand your word, and, uh, that our trust and hope would be in you, and in, in your son and that we would be saved uh, only by only by uh, the repentance and faith uh, in your son uh, the faith that uh, is a very gift from you and I also pray that uh, we would uh, trust you and that we would see and understand your goodness and holiness and justice and power and wisdom and mercy uh, in both uh, bringing a judgment upon guilty sinners that, that only deserve your justice. And uh, apart, apart from your Son and your grace, uh, that is all of us, uh, whatsoever, who, whosoever. Uh, but I also thank you that you show undeserved grace and mercy upon 
wretched, undeserving uh, sinners, even, even those uh, who are as unworthy as us. And I pray that you'd conform us to the likeness of your Son and that uh, we'd have an eternal living hope uh, in, uh, in him, in, in our high priest and, and king at, at your right hand intercedes for us and so uh, we give you all the thanks and, and the glory and we uh, give you uh, thanks uh, Lord Jesus for, for your salvation and your intercession uh, thank you for, for your Apostle Paul uh, Amen